Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who up until a few years ago was convinced that Alan McGee was Paul Daniels' brother-in-law. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Yeah, very well. Can I just say that that, much like a lot of the events in the film that we're going to review, that that isn't true. <laughs> if you had said that, if you said that our mutual friend had thought that, then I would have, I'd have bought it. Well, that's very true. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. But well, hey, come on, I'm stretching. I, I needed an intro, and yeah, yeah, it was the the best I could come up with. In fact, that popped into my mind, and I, I've find it so funny that I just thought I'm keeping that. I didn't even bother thinking of another one. So it's maybe laziness on my part. Anyway, how are you, Greg? You're back from your holidays. I am. I am. I've been away on holiday. I've been in, in England, uh, which was absolutely roasting. And obviously, you know, from living here, we manage the heat here in Dubai by having the AC on most of the time, whereas British houses are designed to keep the heat in. So it was a sweaty couple of weeks. But I did go to uh, Disneyland in Paris with my daughters, I thought I should take them while they're still the right age to appreciate it. Have you been to Disneyland? Uh, no, I've never been to... Um, I've been to Disneyland in Florida, right. um, but I've never been to the Paris one. And my wife and I keep saying we'll go because it's only three hours on the train mm-hmm. from um, from Amsterdam. So we have said a few times that we should go for a few days and like have a day in Paris and then go to um, Disney for a day. Yeah. In fact, w- we've said... It was my idea to go to Disney, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, how is it? Would you recommend it, or is it a bit crap? I, I I would recommend it. I was glad that I took my daughters at the ages they are now, because my oldest one is fourteen, my youngest one is nearly twelve. They we got um we had booked a sort of package thing where we caught a coach from a central area in Paris in the morning, so we were there for the park opening. Now, oh great. And along with, we were there with hundreds of other people. A lot of them had small children with them. And I, I saw, a, you know, the beginning of the day in Disneyland in Paris, it's a bit like, you know, when you see the old newsreels of the volunteers going off to fight in the First World War, <laughs> and they're all singing, and they're all jolly, and they're all looking forward. No idea, no idea what is lies in wait for them. And then... At, <laughs> At the end of the night, it's like the old movie reels of them coming back from the war. You know what I mean? <laughs> Got like bandages around their heads, haunted, far away look in their eyes. Some of them are missing an arm or a leg. Um, yeah, so, and kids that are just up to high dough, like overstimulated wow. and stuff, overtired. So I was glad that we took her two when they're a bit older and easier to manage. Um, but the Avengers uh, campus has opened. It opens in July and it's, uh, it's good. It's really good. We didn't go in any of the rides because by the time we got over there in the afternoon, the wait times were too long. Um, but all the side shows and stuff, I think I sent you the Spider-Man Pierre Parker mm. on the roof. Um, <laughs> the, uh, beating up the tracksuit guys and we saw the Wakandans. I, I got a wave off Captain Marvel. I suspect not the real Captain Marvel, but I took it anyway. And various other stuff. So it's good. It's good. It's definitely worth going. Now, when you say the real Captain Marvel, do you mean Brie Larson or do you mean... I mean, I mean Brie Larson. I mean Captain Marco. Okay. I mean Brie Larson. I just couldn't remember her name for a second there. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I thought I might have to break something to you. Greg. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's lovely. You got a nice wave. That'd be yeah, lovely. Yeah. But that made your day. Did you get a, a picture with her? Or no, no, no. She was up on. Um, so they've got. Uh, they've got. 
the the Avengers plane jet thing up in a sort of raised platform. She was stood up there. She was waving at everybody, really. I mean, she might not she might not have waved at me specifically, but you know, I I, I wave back. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Oh, but it's, that's def- it's, it's, it's yeah. definitely worth going. I mean, I, I'm like you. I've been at Disneyland in California before. Uh, mm. Before we had the kids, my wife and I were in Hollywood for a few days on our honeymoon and we decided to go and I kind of thought Disneyland in Paris might be a bit kind of poor in comparison but it's not it's great it's good and you know it's, it's not if you live in the UK it's not that far away um, I, w- I will warn you though the, the one thing that the Magic Kingdom doesn't have is change of a 50 euro note anywhere evidently <laughs> um, I, thought, I, mean, I, I, I took a bit of cash but not a lot I thought I'll take a couple of hundred euros but I'll use my card when I'm in Paris as much as but I've got cash mm. if I need it so we were going home the day after we'd be at Disneyland and I thought I've got all this fucking cash I need to try I'll just use it in Disneyland and and uh and nobody only had big notes and like nobody would break it for me everywhere I went try to buy stuff oh have you got anything smaller I said oh pay my card so okay fucking scandal it's a Franco it's a Fran- Francois scandal. Francois <laughs> It's a scandal, Francois. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, well, on that note, shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland since you've been away? Cue the jingle. Hello. This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation. And here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg. So it—I'll um, be honest—it's been a pretty dire week in Scotland. I mean, every news story I read—it's—it's it's about droughts or um, the the temperature, and it's not a very happy place at the no, moment. It's so not. it's been quite a struggle to to find some some fun topical items that we can discuss. But I'm sure we're going to manage that. So, what is your first story this week, Greg? Well, how do you feel about when I say branded clothing? I don't mean like clothing label branded, but brand, you know, like. Some people wear like Coca-Cola T-shirts and or I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, not a huge fan. I mean, I I, I could say this now actually because I no longer work for them. I used to work for Tommy Hilfiger, and we did a collaboration with Coca-Cola. And it was a, a load of jumpers released, which had a massive Coca-Cola slogan on the front and right. Tommy Hilfiger label. And um, I had one of the jumpers because I, I got a bit of free clothing um, working there. I, yeah, I, I would never really wear it out the house because I right. kind of felt a bit embarrassed, like walking around wearing Coca-Cola. Advertising I think, Coke. I, I think if it's something... Yeah, I, I think if it's something old and maybe retro, I'm trying to think. Like, I have a a, a t shirt with them, um, the Aitkins Bakery logo on it. You know, <laughs> like, the, the yeah, yeah, like the bag you would get your rolls in. I've got a t shirt with that print on it, and I, I would wear that out the house because no one knows what the hell that is. Um, dear listener, that's a, a bakery in Aberdeen, Aitkins Bakery, that yeah. make uh, wonderful rolls. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'd wear. I'd, I wouldn't wear like a Buckfast t-shirt or anything. Maybe like a, a nice Tenants Lager t-shirt, maybe. Okay. But yeah, I wouldn't generally wear clothing from a brand oh. like that, if you know what I mean. Tommy Hilfiger are going to be raging because Primark have beaten them to the punch with a collaboration with Greg's the Baker. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, Greg's unveil new festival clothing collection as Scottish fans flock to Primark. Primark? Primark. To snap up items. Primark? 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 I think it's Primark. It says that punters flocked to Primark (laughs) to get their hands (laughs) on Greg's themed underpants, bum bags, and even Crocs 
as part of the latest <laughs> festival collection. New items in the drop include uh, a basketball jersey with matching shorts emblazoned. Uh, and let me take, when I tell you that emblazoned is not too strong a word to describe this clothing, uh, I really mean it. Emblazoned bodysuit and the, hi- the highly requested Greg's bum bag. Uh, the highly anticipated <laughs> range arrived in Glasgow today, uh, not today, but the 4th of August, 10 days ago, um, on the nationwide snack fest tour before it officially launches in stores. The bus was parked outside Primark, Primark on Argyle Street until 5pm, but punters queued from 11am and were treated to live music and competitions. There's a limit of, <laughs> there's a limit of two items per customer on every product oh, wow. in the new collection. David Johnson, who's in Glasgow on holiday, said he had to pop in and check out the new range while he was in the city. The 43-year-old from Belfast said, I was doing a bit of shopping when I realised I wouldn't be able to get the merchandise at home. I bought <laughs> I bought the t-shirt, the shorts, and some Crocs, and I'm really happy. Hold on. What? Hold on. I thought it was limited to two items per person. I know. I don't know. Maybe because he spoke to the paper, they let him buy three. Um, ah, okay. But anyway, it, it says, I'm really happy with my purchases. I think it's great that Greg's don't just... <laughs> I think it's great that Greg's don't just do food. They give back to the community too. Jack Spence, what? I don't know where he's getting that from. Jack Spence, 19, raced to Primark, uh, raced to the, to the Primark branch when he learned the collection would be launched. The teen from Linvale said, I saw the collection online and I just knew I had to come and get it. I bought the Crocs, the bucket hat, the t-shirts and the shorts. What the fuck's going on with this two item per person yeah, thing? That's a fucking scandal. It is. Uh, I love the Greg's vegan sausage rolls and I always get one when I go. Ross Kerr from Paisley was also very excited about the launch. Um, it's a picture of him holding up his Greg's Crocs. The 18-year-old said, I was in Glasgow anyway, and I thought I would just come along for a laugh. I think the whole thing is really funny. My girlfriend works in Greg's, so I thought I'd get her some Crocs as a joke. I tend to get the Aww. chicken bake when I go. <laughs> the new range comes after a previous collaboration between the High Street Giants earlier this year. So if I can describe the clothing. So, like I said before, I mean, the Greg's logo is emblazoned all over the t-shirt that David Johnson from Belfast is hoping, uh, and the diagonal line going left to right. I mean, like, you know, we, you know we don't like to judge people on the, we don't like to judge people on the podcast, although we fucking do it every single episode. <laughs> um, but, um yeah. It's not for me. Right, so the t- the t- there's two types of shorts. There's like a white pair of shorts, which has just got Greg's on the right-hand leg near the bottom of the of the left-hand leg of the shorts. There's a pair of what they like swimming shorts that are just covered in the Greg's logo. Uh, the T-shirt I've mentioned, the bum bag. Uh, the wee guy from Linvale, Jack Spence, is wearing a bucket hat, which is just covered in the Greg's logo. Uh, so basically, basically... If you buy this clothing and go to like whatever Glastonbury Red, I think well Glastonbury's past, isn't it? The Reading Festival's coming up. Not only are you going to like a total cunt, but you're you're you're, you've just paid Primark for the privilege of advertising Greg's. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) I I can't 
fathom the i love the fact they've got what a basketball jersey and shorts so what is it emblazoned with like the chicago brideys or the <laughs> no, just a- san francisco sausage rolls or <laughs> just does it at least have like greg's as the name on the back of the jersey it says Gre- or- it says greg's everywhere on the t-shirt <laughs> Right, every every Jesus. every square every like square centimeter has got Greg's and the little yellow uh, sort of four squares square um, logo. I mean, it's, it's yeah, bizarre. I just can't fathom like the trend of of that. I I wouldn't want to wear. I mean, Crocs of any nature, but let alone Greg's Crocs. Are they like in the shape of a sausage roll or something, or is it right. just, or, or is it just emblazoned with Greg's? <laughs> Even worse, them in the shape of Crocs. Um, they have uh, they have they have Greg's along the side of the of the sole. Um, yeah. Wow. Not okay. nice. Yeah. I, nah. I, I I wouldn't be rushing out to to buy Greg's limited edition merchandise. Not even in a kind of ironic hipster way. Just in a no way. Yeah. It just just doesn't. Um, <laughs> and a, a, I don't want to get the cunt ripped out me in the train by strangers kind of way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, funnily enough, you now I've thought about it. You were saying about uh, a brand would you wear? I have been looking online trying to get, uh, and I, I might buy one, a T-shirt with uh, the Blockbuster logo on it. Oh yeah, I used to work there, so it's fine. And the brand no longer exists, so there is one last Blockbuster left. So um, I would uh, th- that would be kind of funny-ish, maybe, but I probably wouldn't wear it that often. But yeah, I wouldn't be wearing a Greg's T-shirt or I mean, it'd be okay for you. It's your name, so. <laughs> It's quite spelled, cool, wouldn't it? Spelt wrong though. I've only got. I've only got. There's, there's like two G's there's, in my name. There's three G's in Greg's. Well, I don't know. You can't have everything, mate. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they've, they've at least made some effort. Yeah. It's just, you know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad my birthday's passed. <laughs> oh, what a shame! It would have been a lovely present, but yeah. Oh well, yeah. That's a, a lovely story. I'm glad that's the taking the nation by storm. I can't wait to look at footage from the Reading Festival and see <laughs> all these cunts and fucking Greg's the Bakers uh, bucket hats singing along to Shangalang or whatever Do you remember um, Do you remember? it must have been maybe 2000 or 2001, River Island had those t-shirts with this, those kind of pretend companies and stuff on it, like before Superdry ever did it I remember I had one for Feddy Pucker's Fat Camp, remember? You did, yes I do remember that t-shirt yeah. you had, uh, yeah I do remember there was a kind of a trend of that, yeah a lot of it would be like autos and mm-hmm. stuff or yeah, Butch's autos or yeah, yeah, yeah I remember you had had that fat camp t-shirt yeah. i left it in amsterdam yeah ironically probably. at a hotel probably for, for the probably for the best <laughs> <laughs> I, I that t-shirt was like it was it was like high fashion back then it was like they remember the, yeah. the remember the, the the year or so that the porn star t-shirts were in they came just after yeah, yeah, yeah. shamefully i i did own two porn star t-shirts shamefully and why bought you one oh could you imagine <laughs> oh yeah he did did you birth- yeah yeah, yeah i remember that yeah, yeah navy navy one yeah i think yeah um could you imagine cutting about in that now like <laughs> ugh, you just ugh, i remember no. i mean I, the, the, when, not now as as men in their early 40s but i mean even in our early 20s cutting about in that now just wouldn't be the done thing yeah, would it it was it was all right back it was all right back then though, wasn't it? i remember um yeah they, when paul and i went to boston and i bought from urban outfitters i bought a debbie's a, a debbie does dallas t-shirt with the old promotion with the promotional poster for the uh the old scud film 
on the front of the t-shirt. I, I held out that t-shirt for an embarrassingly long time. <laughs> I had a, a t-shirt um, that I used to wear to uni um, and it, it just had on the front, and so similar to what you're saying, that was kind of the trend back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said in kind of like swirly writing, like, you know, like fancy writing, um, it just said in the front, male escort service. Right. And I thought it was fucking hilarious to wearing this. But then I realized that a lot of the, the female population at university thought that this meant I was gay. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, obviously, but um, they thought, and I was like, no, no, it means male escort service. Like I'm a gigolo and stuff. I, I'm not actually a gigolo, but if you want to pay me, then it's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, I won't be rushing out to get any of that Greg's merchandise. Let's just say that. Thankfully, I don't think they'll sell it in Amsterdam. Yeah. There's not any Greg's here. So yeah, yeah it's not worth it. Yeah. Never mind. No, not worth it. Uh, okay. So that was my first story this week what have you got um well my first story i've kind of i'm cheating a little bit i've got kind of two stories in one but i'll, I'll condense them so that it just forms one story uh, because they're both about the edinburgh fringe which is happening at the moment greg obviously a big festival in edinburgh happens every year have you ever been to the fringe uh, i've been in edinburgh when the fringe has been going on um I've, I, I, I've never gone to my shame to say I've never gone to like a show or anything okay um, but I've been there I mean I, and I, I've, I've worked in Edinburgh when the fringe has been going on which is probably why I never went to a show because after spending yeah. sort of nine hours working with tourists you just want to get the fuck as far away from Edinburgh as you possibly can yeah chaos um, when when the fringe is on yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a lovely atmosphere it is. yeah it, it's very busy and carnage um, I, I went a few years uh, when I was younger I was part of a, a theatre group from first year to fourth year at, at school and we went to the fringe every year um the, the busload um on a saturday to left aberdeen we'd go to the fringe we'd go to a matinee show at like about 12 o'clock right. and then we'd go to one at like three o'clock and then get on the bus back to aberdeen at 5 6 p.m so yeah i've been to a few shows there i can't really remember much the only one that i can remember and it, I, I can't remember what production it was but this would have been in my second year so I, you have to bear in mind the audience was mostly full of uh school kids from the ages of like let's say 12 to 16 all of a sudden midway production this naked lady appeared on stage <laughs> and uh, so, so, so you can imagine the, the reaction from the audience part laughter part arousal kind of just you know a, a, a very attractive young lady but uh yeah that is the one memory i have from the fringe did you rip your shirt open to reveal your male escort t-shirt <laughs> no greg i was like 30 oh, at right, the time, okay. so no I, I didn't have my male escort service t-shirt i'm not old enough to pimp myself about at the age of 13 we don't want to go down that avenue <laughs> either um so uh but this is about the fringe which is happening at the moment so um this is a story that broke today and it's about controversial scots comedian jerry sadowitz who has been banned from the fringe so uh this is from the daily record today Scots comic Jerry Sadowitz has been cancelled by the Edinburgh Fringe after a raft of complaints about his show. Shocked audience members and venue staff hit out at the controversial comedian who called his show Jerry Sadowitz Not For Anyone. Now, I kind of think the hint's probably there. Yeah. Um, and it did warn on the poster that it contained strong language and themes that some may find distressing. Now, Jerry Sadowitz is a pretty well-known Scottish comedian and he's well-known for his humour being not for a lot of people mm-hmm. so i i think if you if you're going to this you you have to be prepared for something that's going to be a bit out there uh so the 60 year old had two shows booked at the pleasance theater but was been told that he had been cancelled amid claims he used racist language and flashed on stage sadowitz tweeted did a show last night 75 minutes thought it went well didn't see any walkouts today i'm showed my show has been cancelled 
Great stuff. I'm truly sorry for anyone who has travelled to see the show tonight. One viewer told the Scottish Sun, I was at the show, he called... Now, this is where he loses my sympathy, to be quite honest. Um, I was at the show, he called Rishi Sunak a p-word and he said that the economy was awful because it was run by blacks and women he then got his penis out to a woman in the front row the pleasant theater trust said that it cancelled sadowitz second and final show with immediate effect anthony alderson who is the director of the pleasant said the pleasant is a venue that champions freedom of speech and we do not censor comedians material while we acknowledge that jerry has often been controversial the material presented at his first show is not acceptable and does not align with our values this type of material has no place on the festival and we will not be presenting his second show the move didn't go down well amongst other comedians with uh, performer leo kerr saying if the islamic fundamentalists don't get you the wokists will uh, he said that u.s born sadowitz who moved to glasgow with his scottish mother at the age of seven was the only comedian worth seeing at this year's festival uh, the pleasant said that anyone who had booked a ticket would get a full refund and it won't be working with sadowitz again now yes sadowitz is a very controversial comedian he's known for his out there comedy um uh, you can't leave this stuff for jim davidson or Roy Chubby <laughs> Brown. You can't be saying the P word and you can't say the economy is awful because it's run by blacks and women. I, I don't understand. What is, um, what's he trying to say? I, I know what he's trying to say, but what's he trying to do there? That's not a kind of, that's not what I would expect from Sadowitz. It's not a kind of out there zany. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just not, it's, I mean, it's not even funny. We're not, I mean, I'm not saying that that sort of language is funny. But to try and understand, you know, what he's, what he was about, I guess you'd have to, hear it in context right oh, come on though you can't be you can't you can't be saying that live on stage it's not acceptable even if you're trying to be edgy or or funny it's not edgy it's just fucking racist you're just outing yourself as a, a racist fool well yeah i mean i guess i mean i don't i've not i don't really know uh sadowitz stuff i can't i've you know i've just never really kind of come across i know of him obviously but i've never come across any of his stuff or if i have i can't remember but yeah i mean you would think that i don't know i think they you you read the quote from that other comedian um mentioning the wokists um and i think i think there is a there is a you know i think there's there's a there's a thin line between sort of what people would class as freedom of speech and what is actually freedom of speech and i, I don't think that freedom of speech is means that you can go about saying what you want about minorities or genders no. or anything else you know what i mean um but i was i would still be interested to know what sort of context because they to your point it's a sort of thing you would associate with bernard manning or chubby brown or something like that and they their audiences don't go to the edinburgh fringe you know what i mean they go to the pier in blackpool no. so well uh, i'll mix this in with another show that has been causing quite a lot of controversy at the edinburgh fringe and this is by cunt and the gang who uh, we are very familiar with greg because uh, we listened to a podcast that cunts on mm -hmm. called acceptable in the 80s which is is well worth a listen um and and cunt is a and it's spelled k-u-n-t before yeah. anyone Kunt. says that, so Kunt. I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to say it. it's, it's yeah. cunt in the game. Yeah. Um, he's a he's a kind of a musical comedy act, and and he first came to my attention quite a few years ago with his song "The Wrong Ian Watkins," which is a a song about confusing Ian Watkins, the singer from The Lost Prophets, yeah. with the Ian Watkins H from Steps, um, which includes the lines like. Um, 
you've got the wrong Ian Watkins, mate, and that's what made me smile. You've just called the bloke from Steps a twisted pedophile. <laughs> so that's that's the kind of comedy we're dealing with here. <laughs> so uh, this is a comedy that, uh, it's a musical that he's been putting on at the Edinburgh Fringe called Shannon Matthews, the musical. Mm-hmm. And it's left some people cackling with laughter and others seething with outrage. So you've heard Cump before. He is uh, the musical act behind the song Prince Andrew is a Sweaty Nonce and Boris Johnson is a Fucking Cunt. So this musical is about the disappearance of Shannon Matthews and the the musical hits, the songs included, Shannon Ain't Dead, She's Under My Bed and I've Got a Plan Based on Madeline McCann. It, some people took to social media to say they can't even find the words to describe how vile this is. Um, the, the idea of about a musical about Shannon Matthews is bang out of order and it should never be allowed to be aired in Britain. Just imagine the poor girl Shannon Matthews reliving the ordeal all over again. I think it's very cruel. So of course the Shannon Matthews case was about uh, a girl, Shannon Matthews, who went missing. Oh, here we go. In 2008, then nine-year-old Shannon Matthews appeared to go missing and there was a major search to track her down. But she was found alive and well in a flat a mile away from her home. Um, and it was actually her mum and partner who had planned this fake abduction. So the pair had planned to release the nine-year-old and pretend to have discovered her and take her at the police station and pocket the £50,000 reward money that I think the son was offering at the time. Uh, They were found guilty of kidnapping, false imprisonment, perverting the course of justice and sentenced to eight years in prison. How do you feel about Shannon Matthews, the musical? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you explained the whole story there because I'm sure people perhaps listening to the podcast overseas uh, might not know the whole story. Mm. Obviously, you know, I think the wee girl turned up safe and well. She nothing happened to her. She they, she knew the guy that she was staying with while like her mother orchestrated this false manhunt, etc. You know, I mean, I find that people's out people can become outraged without have even they, they might not even have gone to watch the show, but because no. they've read a review of it or something you know they think you say i i listen to the podcast that uh cunt does with his pal roy that you that you recommended to me and he certainly you know he's a funny warm guy he does have quite a spiky sense of humor you know so my you know my view on such things is always if that sort of humor isn't to your taste then fucking don't go and watch it. You know what I mean? Or you know, don't read it, don't listen to it, or whatever else. You know, if you are a bit more robust and like we are, and you can, you can, you know, you can see what they're trying to achieve, then think, think, go along, but don't complain about it afterwards. You know, I think people just like jumping on the bandwagon yeah. of things. Do you remember um, Jerry Springer the Opera? Yeah, a, a huge show done so well in the West End and in theatres for years. Then the BBC decided to show it because it was so popular. And they received something like, you know, thousands upon thousands of complaints. Yeah. And the show got cancelled. And and I think Stuart Lee was one of the writers of that. And he nearly went bankrupt uh-huh. because of the, it ended up going to court or something. People tried to sue him because distress. I guarantee most of those people hadn't even watched it. Mm-hmm. They just jumped on the bandwagon of wanting to complain about something and, and reading it in the Daily Mail. Yeah. And seeing that outrage of this oh this vile thing because i think yeah it, it had some maybe religious themes that probably some people didn't agree with but no, i think it's people just like complaining for the sake of it yeah i mean you know I, it, these sort of things kind of they sort of hold the mirror up to society and you know like when that when that little girl went missing there was like a media scrum like there always is mm. um and you know it, it had only been a few years 
think it had been like two years or a year since Madeleine McCann disappeared. So, yeah. you know, there was always going to be comparisons made. You know, I'm sure a lot of the media felt a bit silly at the end of it when it turned out, you know, they, because I was sure that they were persecuting suspects and people like that at the time. And I always think of, like, this. I remember going to see the South Park movie at the cinema, like, mm. however long ago that was now, like, well over 20 years ago. And when they go to war with Canada over the Terence and Philip movie, and, um, yeah. and they, and, you know, and they're about to, like, start this big battle, and they've got all the, they've got all the black people, and they're, and they're like, you know, they, you guys are Operation Human Shield. You know what I mean, yeah. and and it's not. It was not. What the word be? It wasn't. The word being racist. They were sort of showing, I guess, the way that the American society uh, regarded black people at the time, and arguably still do. You know what I mean? That's exactly yeah. I, so strange you mentioned that. I listened to a podcast just this week that was them um, discussing South Park the movie. And, and they purposely mentioned that part of Operation Human Shield. And I believe it's um, Operation Get Behind the Darkie, they say as well. Right, something like and that, yeah. It, it's, it's, the whole point of that is it's, it's Trey and Trey Stone and Matt Parker mm-hmm. taking the piss out of the US Army and the, the way that they would do things. Yeah. It, it was Because then I think Chef gets up and makes this wonderful speech about the uh, a proclamation and yeah. um, you know it, it kind of turns it on its head and and it's yeah it's it's the racist that they're laughing yeah, at well, in that film. the the, the black not... characters get the last laugh anyway don't they because yeah. it's like op- exactly operation human shield my ass and they'll like, move out the way at the beginning of the battle <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they've done it well but yeah there, there, there is there's always going to be controversy and, and things that that people um find funny and i guess it, it's i don't know I, I don't like that term woke it, no. it just you know I, it's more people complaining about things just to jump on bandwagons but i, I really don't agree with that term woke I mean, well, people you know, can get offended and we live in a different world nowadays so it's a different society of of what's acceptable and i think people need to evolve with that i mean but the thing is like it, the whole the whole term woke it sort of contradicts itself anyway because it implies mm. that somebody who perhaps 30 or 40 years ago might have laughed at some racist or sexist joke that jim davison made suddenly coming to their senses and realizing that oh it's not funny anymore or whatever but you know like the generations that would consider themselves to be woke are probably too young to have seen a comic like Jim Davidson. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they catch a bit of him on YouTube and they give them something to blog about or something like that. But, you know, they, I'm not in, like, I never, I never thought Jim Davidson was particularly funny anyway. I quite, I, yeah. I quite liked the big break on a Saturday night, but he was only hosting <laughs> that, you know. The, you know, him slagging off minority like in 1983 wasn't right then, just like it's not now. Mm. So they, they, saying that your woke implies that you thought something was fine before, but you've read something or you've listened to somebody or spoke to somebody and now you've changed your mind. It's horseshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We won't be seeing Sadowitz again at the Fringe. And well, yeah, cutting cut the maybe. gang. Yeah. yeah, anywhere, anywhere possibly. Yeah, it does seem to have, um, to have taken... Um, yeah, a bit of uh, press on that. Yep. Uh, so let's move on swiftly. Uh, okay, Greg, what is your second story this week? <laughs> um, what What is your view on professional eaters? Um, 
I, I don't know. I don't really have one. Um, I have watched a couple of episodes of like Man versus Food, and obviously probably seen clips of like hot dog eating contests or fast yeah. eating. In fact, yeah, I did go down a, a YouTube rabbit hole. I think one day and and ended up watching. You know, the, there was a guy that, that yeah, they'll go in and order like the the biggest breakfast at a cafe that no one ever finishes, and then he eats it in like twelve minutes, and the staff are all amazed type thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a massive opinion on it, really. I mean, if that's what you're good at, so if you've got talent and I mean, it's eating, then I gotta be honest. It sounds like you're a bit of a fan, <laughs> judging by all the all the research you've done. Yeah, I've watched a few YouTube clips. What's your opinion on professional eaters? I mean, you're in the uh, sort of restaurant trade, so is that are they your nemesis or are they your goldmine in a way? Um, look, I'll be honest with you. I hate watching either <laughs> pro- professional or otherwise people just eating generally but especially people who are eating as part of a contest it's just yeah that scene in stand by me uh the lard ass scene i mean i i i I sort of ready to throw up before lard ass throws up you know what i mean it's disgusting (laughs) um but anyway this is a story from the scottish sun on the 10th of august uh just last week Uh, The headline reads, Monster Munch. I'm a professional eater, but I had a close call during a 60-ounce steak challenge in Scotland. Uh, Jesus. This is American Randy Santel. I think you struggle to find a more American name than that. He was aiming to become the restaurant's first guest to devour a 60-ounce steak, plus a gut-busting 60 ounces of sides in one hour. There's a picture of Randy here, I'm assuming this is before he started eating it. So it's a, the steak. This <laughs> steak is on a board. It's surrounded by onion rings, little uh, jugs of, I guess, sauce, uh, mushrooms, tomatoes. He's got four uh, portions of chips. He might wow. he might call them fries, but you can tell the chips are too thick to be fries. And um, and uh, a few. Bits of sweet corn. He's a YouTuber, if, if, if that's your thing, you might want to check him out. Uh, but he was nearly beaten by the four portions of chips, four corn in the cobs, four lots of mushrooms, and a whopping 16 onion rings. Uh, he's, he's a war veteran. He's been eating for cash since 2010. Uh, he had to ask for a bucket Ooh. near the end at a Nichols in Perth as he came close to throwing up. He said, "Oh, he said, I wasn't ready for how many sides there were in addition to the huge steak. It was tough, but thankfully, I had an hour. Uh, Randy cleared the 70 pound plate of food with just three seconds to spare. Uh, the YouTuber wow. and reality TV star from Springfield, Missouri got the meal for free and wins a place in the restaurant's hall of fame so it was obviously all worth it uh randy was on holiday in scotland with his partner katrina doesn't mention whether she's a pro eater as well and there's no picture of her it says steak, <laughs> steak challenges depend on how well the steak is cooked thankfully this one was cooked to perfection the problem was the sides uh, restaurant owner colin nickel said and there was a point around the 40 minute mark where he had to compose himself but i thought he did brilliantly so there's a picture of uh, colin nickel he looks a bit shell shocked. <laughs> Stood beside Randy, who, in addition to his like textbook American name, is also dressed in a polo shirt and matching baseball cap. And bizarrely, <laughs> he's got a teddy bear beside him that's got 
a matching t-shirt as well um i mean that's probably when he stuffed the food he's probably been chewing <laughs> yeah. it and then just putting it and then stuffing it up the teddy yeah he's got a bottle of beer as well i think it's uh is it jukers uh bellhaven so yeah i mean i i, I just i think professional eaters are just fucking arseholes to be quite honest with you i mean <laughs> so, a fucking sweeping statement yeah well sorry i mean how could you be a professional i mean imagine paying somebody to eat food you know what I mean? I mean, get a real job. Get a skilled job. Yeah, but surely, yeah, but surely it's a talent. Like, uh, you and I wouldn't be able to eat. Like, you have to train and you obviously have to have a talent for it. Like, a lot of the these, um, like, hot dog eating competitions, for example, you'll find people have got, like, a really open throat that they can just swallow the hot dogs kind of whole effectively i mean i wouldn't be able to do that whereas i think it's a talent it probably takes a lot of training as well in terms of being able to eat i mean imagine like sitting tightening yourself when you're eating your cornflakes right let's go through some of the let's go through some of the talents that you that a a person can have that will earn them money right (laughs) you could be a professional footballer right very talented it's good for your body it's good for your mind you've got exercise You could be a professional musician. Again, good for your mind, your coordination, your skill. You can make money. Professional eater. You're not doing yourself any good. Swallowing, let me tell you something. I'm no doctor. I don't imagine that swallowing a hot dog whole, just even one hot dog, let alone multiple ones, is very good for you. Yeah, but then you could say like a professional gambler, for example, which is a big profession. That's not good, really. It's, you know, gambling isn't good. It's good for the mind, though, because if you're a professional gambler, you've got to share judgment. You know, you've you've got to, I'm making up things now, you've got to check the spread, (laughs) right? Not if you get addicted to it, though. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but there's a, I guess there's a difference between being a professional gambler and being addicted to gambling, right? Well, yeah, that, well, that's true. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. call a gambling addict a professional. You wouldn't call an alcoholic a professional drinker. <laughs> exactly. <you> might. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although many are. Okay. <laughs> Fair, fair point. Point proven. Yeah, but I, no, I will say it's a talent and it's a skill and something you have to train for to be a professional eater. Uh, yeah, probably, I, I mean, it's not something I'd want to go down, but I, I think it's. I think you're being harsh uh, on the professional eaters of this world. Is he quite a, a thin gentleman? No, Randy? he looks. He's, he looks. I mean, it's hard. To, I think he's quite a big guy. Either that or Colin, the older of Nichols, okay. is quite a small fella. He's not like a big fat guy. You know, he's kind of bro- yeah, sort of broad shouldered. He, he looks like an ex. American soldier, to be quite honest. He's, he's, he's probably got a pair of cat okay. boots on underneath, or a pair of Timberlands underneath the table, but we can't see his legs. Because you do find a lot of these professional eaters are quite thin, but I wonder if it's because they they basically just eat one meal a day and kind of fast for the rest of the Maybe. 20, 23 hours. Mm, I don't know. Everything. I can't believe it. three seconds to spare when you finish that steak. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, all for a free Christ. 70 quid meal. I wouldn't want to be clearing up his Airbnb the next day. Oh. Fucking hell. I mean, it's his girlfriend. I feel toilets. It's girlfriend i feel sorry for do you know what i mean jesus christ she goes for a nice holiday in scotland she got to watch her fella fucking jam a 60 ounce steak down his throat and 16 onion rings you know it's not exactly one for the album is it no oh well i guess she knew what she was getting into when she she got with him hey who knows maybe they met at a restaurant or something could you imagine that going out could you imagine that though actually going out for your first date for a restaurant and he finishes his meal in like 32 seconds yeah and she's still just Start. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, force a habit. You know, but I'm, I'm, I'm a professional eater. I left it off my Tinder profile because because it puts some people off. You know? Well, that's uh, that's old Randy. 
uh, professional steak muncher. What's your second story this week? Uh, okay, so my second story comes from the Scottish Sun, and this is yesterday, the 13th of August, and the headline is Nude Awakenings. Uh, so this story is about a trio of care workers who took vulnerable residents to a male strip show to fill a bucket list request have been cleared of criminal charges. The workers who took the residents in a minibus to the Saucy Show were found not guilty of ill-treating or willfully neglecting the care home residents. One resident complained about the drunken trip the following morning after being shocked when a naked male stripper clambered over her wheelchair. <laughs> Lisa Dolan said she had never been to a strip show before and had expected it to be like the movie The Full Monty. But she told Dundee Sheriff Court that she had to smack a young stripper on the bottom to get rid of him <laughs> as he stood completely naked in front of her. Uh, now, this isn't funny in a way, but it is. Uh, she told the trial that the three carers she felt vulnerable uh, and was shocked that the show was much more graphic with full-on nudity than she was prepared for. Uh, she said that the accused trio, Caitlin Gibbs, Shannon Briggs and Samantha Burton, became happy during the evening and they were seen buying drinks at the bar in Baxter's. However, after hearing Crown evidence at the case, Sheriff David Hall brought the case to an end by formally acquitting the trio of any wrongdoing. Uh, Miss Dolan said that the trip had been organised by the Disability Centre in Dundee after a former resident had put it on her bucket list of things to do. So this former resident, who I presume has maybe passed away, her bucket list was to go to a strip club or a, a sex or see the full Monty type thing. So they'd obviously taken them um, to this. Uh, all three were alleged to have ill-treated or willfully neglected two patients in their care by taking them out of the centre in Christmas 2018. They were alleged to have attended uh, the Lenathan Centre uh, where they were under the influence of alcohol on the 1st of December and taken Sandra McGowan and Lisa Dolan out. They were alleged to have taken the two patients to an adult entertainment show at Baxter's and allowed them to consume alcohol from the bar without supervision. The accused were alleged to then have consumed alcohol and failed to properly care for the duo. It was also alleged that they allowed naked male adult entertainment entertainers to sit on the knee of one woman when she was in a wheelchair. Miss Dolan told the court, I expected what I seen on the TV. I was expecting it to be like the full Monty, so I did go in thinking it'd be like that but it wasn't. He was sitting in the chair with Caitlin. Then all of a sudden, she stood up, and I didn't realise he was coming towards me. I was trying to push him away, but I couldn't because he came that quick. He put his legs over me, he was facing me, and there wasn't a stitch on him. He put his legs over the side of my chair and sat on my knee, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I was shocked. He had his full front in my face. I pushed his bum to get him away. Then I smacked his bum, and he moved away. The next morning, I went straight away to report it, and I will never go to a strip club again. It's just not appropriate. <laughs> she told the court that she was a wee bit drunk by the end of the evening, uh, but she felt that the three accused hadn't looked after her properly in the club. Right. Uh, she said that her she reported her concerns to the home, which had provided its official minibus for the trip. Um, <laughs> The following morning when she woke up. Uh, so the court was told that the three accused were not officially on duty as they were on night off and another staff member was driving the bus when they went to Baxter's. Okay, I, I can see if this woman did feel vulnerable at this this male strip show. She was expecting something a bit fun, like maybe the Full Monty or the Chippendales, but she actually got full-on male strippers. <laughs> Do we think that she... Because she did say she was a bit drunk uh -huh. in the evening. 
So she must have been enjoying herself a bit. Do we think she's got pissed? <laughs> she's woken up with a fucking raging hangover the next day. One of the other carers has come in and been like, are you okay? Like, you're looking a bit ill. And she's like, oh, oh, I was at this sex show last night in the strippers and then he had his wanger in my face <laughs> and I had wanger. to slap his bum. <laughs> and this maybe other member of staff has says, oh, that's not on and maybe made a complaint or something. And then it's led to that. I, I don't know. Something about this story doesn't add up. How do you take these two patients to a strip show and not, get them pissed but and were they patients though i thought they were just they're, they're carers right so they're, they're they're residents they're not ill they're just need a bit of extra looking after because they're their condition, right? Well, yeah, yeah, they're residents yeah. at the care home. So the, the three carers have taken these two residents out. So yeah, they're, they're not. Yeah, it's not patients as such, but yeah, they're, they're residents. Yeah. But I just wonder if maybe she's been yeah hung over the next day and regretted her decision, or maybe she spent too much money on the strippers and <laughs> has regretted it the next day. I don't know. Someone about this story doesn't sit yeah. right with me. Maybe one of the... I need more information. Maybe one of the strippers didn't have change. For a five pound note, something like that. Maybe she had a fifty euro note. Maybe yeah, no. Well, we all know the struggle yeah. there. I mean, I can imagine if you've watched, if they, your only reference to male stripping, much like my good self, is the full Monty, which. <laughs> You know, the the stripping part of it, the actual show is right at the very end. And, Mm. you know, we don't see them from the front. It all seems quite genteel and whatnot. And then you (laughs) can take to this club. In my mind, it's like hyper sort of Scottish techno music that's playing. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) He's like young, Uh. these young ripped guys like flying about and... Pelvic thrusting in women's faces and all this sort of stuff. Taking their, whipping their trousers off to bits and pieces. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what I had in my mind as well. <laughs> Just draping himself, full of, covered in baby oil, draping himself over this woman's wheelchair. Um, as she's with his his full front in her face as she smacked his bottom. I mean, technically, she could have, you're not you're not supposed to touch the strippers, so you know uh, she was breaking the rules. She could have been thrown out for that. I think the rules are different for male strippers and female strippers. I wouldn't know, Greg. I, well, I was, I've only heard you know about myself, but uh, do, do you remember? Um, I think it was... No. You, <laughs> no, no, this isn't incriminating against to either of us, but the time when okay. you, you you and our mutual friend came down to stay with me in Glasgow and we went out in town, my dad came and we were in that, bizarrely in that 80s bar on Renfield Street and we were sitting up the stairs and there was a hen party in yeah. and they had a stripper who was dressed up as a policeman or a fireman or something like that. Yes, I do remember that. I mean, if he was bothered by all those women touching him, <laughs> he certainly wasn't letting on, you know? It's a very valid point, actually, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure he had any choice, to be yeah. honest. No, <laughs> definitely not. I always think it must be a, it always must be quite quite a sort of lonely job, that working as like a like a sole male strippogram. You just sort of turn up with your stereo and your costume and, you know what I mean, get pawed by a load of drunk women for an hour then off to the next one, you know? Is it still a thing? I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I presume it still is, but I, I'm not sure. But yeah, that that is the image of, yeah, someone turning up with a, as you say, a little kind of... <laughs> yeah. Boombox. Hitachi <laughs> little boombox 
with the uh, leave your hat on on it or something and then just gyrating and slowly peeling off a policeman's uniform or it's usually a fireman i would say so yeah yeah it's uh yeah anyway it's a dying art yeah. the male stripper well if you're a, if if you're a male stripper or or you're a woman who goes to lots of hindus or has been to one lately let us know what the what the story is right in right into this <laughs> podcast <laughs> culturesmiley at gmail.com give us your stripper stories (laughs) okay um have you got anything else this week then greg anything else Uh, no that was all the news that i could find as you say it's been a pretty dire couple of weeks between rising temperatures at home and rising energy costs and everything there's not a lot of funny stories to be found but as long as uh, no as long as greg's are doing collaborations with uh, pre-mark and carers are taking old ladies to strip nights and pubs we'll always have something to talk about in the culture swally <laughs> wonderful okay well before we uh, go on to what we're going to be talking about today on the swally let's have a little word from our sponsors yes there have been other music shops but none quite on our scale bruce miller's union street the brand new home of home entertainment Okay, Greg, so it was your choice this week on the Culture Smiley, so why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about today? Well, this week I chose the 2021 music biopic, 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 uh, creation stories uh, about uh, Scottish Svengali uh, record label boss Alan McGee. Uh, It was released in uh, 2021, distributed by Sky Cinema. So it wasn't the easiest thing to get a hold of when you don't live in the country. Uh, it stars Ewan Bremner as the as Alan McGee, uh, alongside a huge cast of well-known uh, Scottish and mm-hmm. British actors. Uh, Michael Socha and Thomas Turgus from Made in England is in there. Uh, Jason Fleming turns up in a totally pointless role. <laughs> um, uh, Richard Jobson of the classic Scots punk band The Skids is in there. Ed Byrne is in there. Even Bez uh, gets a blink and you'll miss it part. Uh, it was written by uh, Dean Kavanagh and Irvin Welsh, um, who, according to Alan McGee, was really the one who brought the film, uh, who really kind of pushed the film to get it made and released. It's based on Alan McGee's autobiography, which is also called Creation Stories, which if you've not read it, I can highly recommend it. Better than the film, I would say. It's directed by Nick Moran from uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, it tells a story of uh, Alan journey from Glasgow in the 1970s to London to setting up uh, his own record label via Club Nights and Acid House uh, tells a story of him meeting Oasis from sending Oasis for the first time and his inevitable decline at the hand of booze and drugs and Phoenix-like rise, well, Phoenix-ish like rise um, to sobriety and health via new labour um, in the mid-90s. So I hadn't seen this. I know you hadn't seen it. I remember when it came out last year, we were talking about it uh, quite a lot uh, in mm. the build-up and stuff. I think we did say we'd have to do it on the swally. Did you enjoy the film? I'd, yeah, I did. Um, I'd, I think it, it wasn't amazing. Yeah. Spoiler alert! It's it's not something that I'm going to be rewatching again and again. No, I, I I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought there was some good performances in the film. The soundtrack, oh, mint. probably the best yeah. part of the film. Yeah. Soundtrack is incredible. I've had um, "Rocks Off" by Primal Scream stuck in my head yeah. um, all week, but the the song I've genuinely had stuck in my head 
constantly is part-time punks by television personalities. Yeah, yeah. That's been just, I cannot get that out of my head. And it, that is probably my favourite scene of the film. I enjoyed it. I, I put this on kind of a akin with like 24-hour party people. Mm. Um, maybe not as good. 24-hour party people has its moments, of course, about um, Tony Wilson, uh, 24-hour party people. Yeah, it was okay because, I mean, Alan McGee for us is, of course, iconic in a way because we, we were the perfect age at that time. Yeah. Oasis were coming out and Alan McGee was there, kind of the rock and roll kind of manager although he was the record label he wasn't really their manager mm. was he was their record label boss but yeah. kind of their manager and it's quite an odd thing for a, a manager to be in that fame i mean i can only think of really I, I was trying to think of famous kind of managers of bands or artists that also share quite a bit of the limelight as much as mcgee did mm-hmm. and i was thinking you've got maybe simon fuller from spice girls and s club seven yeah um Maybe that's what I've lost for the ages. Uh, Brian Epstein is, yeah. you know, kind of the, the main one. Um, Nigel Martin-Smith, who was the manager of Take That. Obviously, Colonel Tom Parker, <laughs> Elvis's manager. And then Big Tam Payton, the Bay City Rollers manager, who ran off and stole all their money. Now, that's a film I want to see. <laughs> I want to see the Bay City Rollers story about Big Tam stealing all their money and fucking off into the sunset. That's what I want to see. Me and you are getting our heads together and we're writing a Bay City Rollers film after this. But was um, was Big Tam not yeah. a bit of a nonce as well? Was not, the story's not come out about him? We'll leave that bit out of the film. It's fine. <laughs> okay. um, we're, we're looking for a, a PG rating. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I did enjoy the film, but not as much as I wanted to. I, I kind of felt I wanted to enjoy it more and I think the soundtrack saved it. It's got some incredible performances. Like my Michael Soccer as Slaughter Joe. Oh, he's brilliant. Blowed me away. Yeah. He's fantastic. Um, the, the guy that plays Young Allen's brilliant. He's very well. good. There's, yeah. there's a lot, lot of good performances, but it left me kind of wanting a bit more. It's it, it's okay. Yeah, was my opinion. What about what about yourself? What did you think? I think you're kind of probably thinking similar to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, it was. Well, I'd say it's if if you want to really learn the story of Alan McGee and Creation Records and everything, then. I would urge anybody who has not read it to read the book first. The film sort of, it kind of picks out some of the kind of best bits of the book and dramatises them. I like Ewan Bremner as an actor. I'm not sure, as as a leading man, Ewan Bremner's a bit, he's a bit much, I think. He's great as Spud, as part of an ensemble in Trainspotting. But, you know, he's he's leading the film. And he's got a habit, Ewan Bremner, I think, of going a bit over the top. You know what I mean? I, th- I think he's best He's best in this film when he's understated, like, you know, towards towards the end of the film when he's... I think the strongest parts of the film, actually, are towards the end when Alan starts to get involved with New Labour oh. and he's, you know, he's sort of beating his addictions and he's in recovery and all that. I think I think Ewan Bremner's brilliant um, in those scenes. The earlier scenes when he's playing younger and he's got the sort of teddy boy ginger haircut and the scenes with his wife Yvonne who's played by a young actress and you you and Bremner's around the 50 mark um and I guess he's supposed to be playing sort of mid-20s uh it was it kind of took me out of it a little bit but to your point like it's like the cast like the main cast are brilliant I think Thomas Turgus is really good in it as well um and the you know and the guy with not like him I thought it was good. Oh, no. Maybe not so much him. I, I did not enjoy Thomas Turgus in this at all. Maybe not no. so not so much him by himself, but the scenes with him and Michael Soka and the guy, hmm. uh, Mick Radio, who plays um, 
Ed Ball and all that. Those scenes were quite good. You know, when he's he's playing the sort yeah. of neurotic, worried label executive and, you know. Yeah. But uh but yeah, no, I, I take your point. It's um it's yeah, it's I, I you know, I don't I would I don't think it's necessarily a missed opportunity because I think, you know, they've tried to tell the story in the sort in the sort of spirit of those sort of days in the late 80s and things when they're signed mm-hmm. when he's signing like my bloody valentine and jesus mary chain and stuff and then the early 90s when he discovers oasis and you know that you you mentioned 24 hour party people i, I happen to think 24 hour party people's a fucking really good film i really like it i think uh, steve coogan's brilliant in it but um i suppose c- creation is a bit of a sort of spiritual as a record label i guess it's a bit of a sort of spiritual successor to factory perhaps better managed i think you know mcgee sold out uh, before it was too late, whereas Factory waited until it was too late and made a lot of big mistakes, so they didn't own any of the rights to any music or anything like that. So, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm like you. I don't know if I'd rush back to to watch it again, but um, it's definitely uh it's definitely worth watching if you're into, if, especially if you're into that, yeah. that if you're into those bands and and that music and particularly that time. I did read quite a lot of online reviews and and complaints, of course, that people. I I think a lot of people have watched this purely to see oasis mm-hmm. and i read a lot of complaints like oh, he doesn't even fucking discover oasis until like, like 30 minutes left to go yeah and like but you're missing out on so much more you're missing out on him jesus and mary chain and and primal scream and um teenage fan club and my bloody valentine you're missing out on all of this it, this is the whole point of the, the story and i did like the way they did that and i i liked the way they didn't start off with alan as a kid yeah you know i, I mean they did but it was very brief and and he was more of a teenager mm-hmm. and, and i like the entrepreneurial spirit that we're doing that in terms of when he's turning up an hour early to to get the newspapers and effectively stealing the newspapers and selling them for 15p <laughs> yeah. pocket in the change hey we've all done that in our part <laughs> jobs haven't we Greg um in terms of making a profit where we, we could get around it I, I I liked that and I thought they really handled those elements well and I, I kind of almost wanted to see more of young Alan yeah and I kind of wish they'd they'd kept the actor uh, Leo Flanagan as Alan in his like 20s because mm-hmm. he could have passed off playing older whereas you exactly hit the nail on the head there with you and Bremner playing a 22 year old maybe Alan when he's in his 50s he he looked yeah in his 50s yeah yeah and he couldn't pass it off he actually looked younger when he was in the later scenes with the shaved head yeah. um if if that makes sense Ewan Bremner is a fantastic actor but let's face it he's always going to be spud yeah and I, I would love to know what he thinks if that's a blessing or a curse for him because as an actor you've got to play this iconic role mm-hmm. that everyone's going to know you for and and people must still to this day shout in the street to him probably every day oh he's spud yeah and I he must have grown to fucking resent that at one point, but I'd imagine he's maybe come out the other side now and embraces it because he's probably older and comfortable with it. But I bet there was a time period he absolutely fucking hated mm-hmm. that role and, and being shouted spud in the street. But it's unfortunate that that's what he's always going to be known as. And a couple of reviews I read about this, um, I think Mark Commode it also said, and I think I read an interview, and uh, a review in maybe The Guardian, and it basically said this is what would happen if Spud got off the drugs and went into the record industry. yeah, yeah. And that's what's going to tarnish this film because Ewan Bremner is so synonymous with the character of Spud. And I think he's maybe, I don't know, maybe Robert Carlyle in Train Spotting, the character of Begbie. You know, if you think about it, Robert Carlyle has been in a fucking Bond film. I know. And he's had such a, a huge 
career, he's kind of always going to be Begbie, though, isn't he? Well, I remember when we did when we did Chainspotting 2, and I watched some interviews with him, and he said that, Robert Carlyle, that is, he said that every single day somebody references or mentions Begbie to him. Like, every day. Yeah. Every time he's out. Has to be. Whereas Ewan McGregor, obviously, he probably gets Obi-Wan now. Yeah, maybe. More than anything, of course. But he's had such a varied career in terms of, you know, he's done Moulin Rouge and uh, Lifeless Ordinary. And Mm -hmm. he's done so many other big films. done Fargo, the TV series. He's done Long Way Round, Long Way Down, Long Way Up, Long Way Round the World with Charlie Borman. I don't think people would shout Renton to him in the street if they saw him. Maybe in Glasgow. They'd probably shout, <laughs> maybe in Glasgow or Edinburgh, might yeah. be, hey, rent, yeah. hey, rent boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could see that actually, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, but you and Bremner will always be Spud. And it's it's such a shame because mm. I, I couldn't get past just seeing Spud in this role. Yeah. As you say, when he's when he's being subtle towards the end, he's it, it's more believable. But in the early manic days, he's kind of doing the Spud look or the twitch and it, it just, I don't know. Someone was just kind of lacking here. Yeah, I know. I I don't know. That's the thing. I mean, like I said before, he's it can be a bit. He's a bit. It can be a bit much at times in this film at, uh, as as Alan McGee and you know, there's either they his the the scenes with the interview with the American journalist and you know it's like he's 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 sort of small. He's it's like he's sort of trying to smolder and you know and be enigmatic and everything and beguiling when he's when he's he's talking to her when she's interviewing him for the uh for her magazine and it's like you know i mean alan mcgee himself and he's the first person he's the first person to say it i mean he's quite a sort of plain guy but he he just he he described himself as a wee ginger cunt from glasgow you know what i mean so you know he'll say himself i was watching an interview with him earlier today and he he was saying you know he, he said for me there was a lot of it was being in the right place at the right time of course he said but you have to kind of make things happen you know what i mean they said that was what i was always good at i was always good at making things happen i I think he says it in the film as well um Mm. so yeah he's you know, I mean, the thing about Ewan Bremner is he, he is he's, he's he's so likable, though. Do you know what I mean? Even though, oh oh yeah, even though they, it's a he's a he's a bit much to deal with sometimes leading the film. You're you're still kind of rooting for him, you know. And I think by the end of it, you're like, you're, I was. I mean, I was quite glad when when the film was finished. To be honest, I found myself especially <laughs> in the last the last sort of twenty minutes. I, I kept checking the time on it, see how long was left. Um, but when it was finished, I was quite. I was. I was pleased for them. Do you know what I mean? I was glad that he'd because I, I can't think of anything else like high profile that he's played the lead in. I've only ever seen him in parts. You know, mm. as as part of an ensemble. Like when I was when I was back in England uh, last week on the Saturday afternoon, uh, Pearl Harbor was on where he plays the kind of stuttering American uh, airman in that. He's got his hair dyed uh, ginger in it, and then he's in. Um, Wonder Woman as well. He's part of the ensemble mm. in that. He's the ill-fated Aliens versus Predator again. You know what I mean? But mm. he's, he's he's sort of fine in those roles, I think. But when he, when yeah. he has to lead the fit, when he has to sort of, sort of lead in something. And to your point, there's a lot of his portrayal of Spud at times in his portrayal of Alan McGee, particularly when he's when you when he's having his big fucking the big sort of drug frenzy montage. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. How do you feel about those sort of scenes and films? You know what I mean, where it's like you know, 
it's the, when they're showing like a big sort of party, the main character's just doing line after line of coke and drinking and stuff, and it goes on for sort of five minutes. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, you probably loved it. I mean, you know, in terms of, I guess, the main film of that is Human Traffic, for example, the kind of, you know, yeah. big party scenes. Um, I, I couldn't watch that film nowadays, nah, to be honest. I was just about Human to say Traffic, that. I think I'd be like, yeah. fuck that. You know what? actually i never loved that film i enjoyed it and i could relate to it because that was kind of our weekend at the time yeah you know that was that was what we did Mm -hmm. um and i i couldn't be arsed with that nowadays like no i'd I'd rather watch something a little bit quieter um those those scenes though as you put on in terms of the drug scenes they are this is what kind of confused me and struck me there's one specific speech that he delivers and it is one of those drug scenes and i think it's it's about 45 minutes in and he's speaking about cheap speed made in bathtubs and ease being cheap and friendly that's it's when he's getting into the house music scene yeah i i wrote down this has got irvin welsh all over it like you can it's it's just an irvin welsh thing yeah yeah I fucking hate water. Give it 20 minutes. But it was when ecstasy kicked in that I really fucking got it. See, in the old days, it was cheap speed made in bathtubs. Or prescription uppers, Dexies, bombers. Both of which are pretty antisocial. And nobody could afford cocaine. That was far too cheap. But this stuff is cheap and friendly. A revelation and a revolution. And then I thought, well, it reminded me so much of the the speech that Renton delivers in Train Spotting after they have the big win on bad boy on the horses mm-hmm. and they're in the club and he delivers a speech about times are changing, drugs are changing, people are changing. It was that kind of speech. Yeah. And I thought, well, wait a minute, did Irvin Welsh write that or was that John Hodge that wrote that? And I mean it was a combination probably of the two. Yeah. I mean they Irvin Welsh has got he has these sort of not preachy, um, but you know these mm. these these sort of passages in his books where his characters will do exactly what you're what you're talking about, you know. And that was what that was all I could get past. Like this is this is just so Irvin Welsh mm-hmm. this this speech and this dialogue. Um, I I think I'll be honest; those party scenes are a little bit forced. Mm. However, the drug scenes with Jason Isaacs again probably one of the best parts of the film. Yeah, in my opinion. in terms of it was enjoyable, but. I enjoyed it, but I was up. But by the end, but I was also thinking, what the fuck is the point of this? <laughs> of this bit? I mean, <laughs> we didn't see Jason. I mean, and I, I rate Jason Isaacs. I think he's he's a great actor. I'd never seen him do anything comedic like that before. I mean, I, I saw him. I saw him play um, Harry Corbett in a dramatization about the making of Steptoe and Son. Mm. But I never seen him do anything like out out and out comedy like that scene. And he, He's brilliant. He's hilariously funny. Um, yeah. But um, but again, I was just like, well, what's, I don't understand the point of that scene. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know. I, I don't know if it's maybe to just get a little bit more music in and maybe a, more yeah. drugs and maybe a bit more action because effectively he's finished his interview with Suki Waterhouse. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the actress Suki Waterhouse. Um, I can't remember the character. Gemma. And, uh, Gemma, thank you. And then, yeah, he just goes off to this club and then ends up... But, but then is that the start of the, the downward kind of spiral in a way? Because when is this interview taking place that he is doing with Gemma? It's, it, is this before he's joined the Labour Party? Because it almost seems... Because that scene with Ralph, surely that's the start of his kind of big downfall because he ends up in the crack den well, with Danny John Jules with one leg in the wheelchair. It seems like that's the... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? It's just so random. It seems <laughs> like that's the kind of catalyst for him starting to understand that he's got a problem. 
you know, like that scene. Okay. Yeah, I kind of put it uh, sort of maybe like 95, maybe 96 when Oasis are still the biggest band on the planet and he's in the US. I okay. can put it there. Yeah, because of course, how um, I can't believe I missed that because he does drive past the billboard yeah. that has Oasis live. At, so yeah, you're exactly right. So that's, I guess, the point of the scene with Jason Isaacs in terms of it shows that he's just going on this downward spell and that's kind of massive mm-hmm. binge and he ends up in a crack den for two days. And of course, Isaacs delivers that beautiful line when he says, oh, I know a fabulous whorehouse around the corner. <laughs> I used to pop in for a lovely breakfast and a happy ending. Yeah. And... <laughs> Maybe McGee goes back, realizes that yeah, it, it's a bit much, and well, well yeah, because then that's when he gets contracts, contracts, um, develops agoraphobia, yeah, and panic attacks, is, is struggling, and then goes to rehab. So yeah, maybe that's the point of the the scene with Isaacs to to show the catalyst for yeah. his downward spiral. It just seems like quite an expensive actor to get in just <laughs> for that, but I'm glad he did because he's very it, good. It, it's very good and I, I find it very funny. It reminded me very much of the kind of role that maybe 15, 20 years ago, like Richard E. Grant would yeah. kind of be doing. Um, it was very much that way, but yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah. So, to touch upon Alan's youth, I thought this was very well and, and genuinely, as I say, I've mentioned a couple of times, yeah, but the Leo Flanagan, who plays young Alan, is he's brilliant and very charismatic and got off to a great start in terms of Richard Jobson lead singer of the skids played his dad and uh, he is just brilliant he's huge now yeah like He's always he's always been a big lad, but I was watching a couple of old skids videos on YouTube, and he's always been a big lad, but he is absolutely massive. He's like reminds me of like Dave Prouse now. Yeah, yes, <laughs> he's like so square. He's fantastic, and when he catches uh, young Alan with it, the tennis racket, and it's a wonderful line. He's like, "You should be out in the street playing football, you wee cunt." Yeah. Jesus Christ! Have you got your sister's makeup on? On birthday, Dad. Well, why are you? Punching about like one, you're a bloody disgrace. Punching about, Dad. You should be in the street with a football. Go and wash that shite off. Go on. You should be on the street playing football, you wee cunt. I like the scene with him when he's got his uh, lodge robes on and Alan's just gone punk and he's say, "Is is that those sexy pistols?" <laughs> he's got a very good uh, comic timing, and it's so funny that he is, you know, in uh, probably. Scotland's biggest punk band, mm. uh, the Skids, and, and he's playing this character that's got have no interest in punk and, as you say, the sexy pistols. Is I'm going to call them the sexy pistols from now on, I think. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I love that the iconic, <laughs> he's full-on Mason <laughs> uniform. <laughs> it's like trying to get uh, young Alan to, to join the Masons. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, that was great. Uh, the whole family actually is brilliant. I mean, Siobhan Redmond is his mum. She's such a, a wonderful character and so caring. And, and as you later find out, effectively gave Alan the money to go to London yeah. and follow his dream. And she's brilliant. And and of course, the grandmother, just those little comic bits, yeah. call, when she, call him a ginger bastard. <laughs> and, and when she catches him scrubbing the red paint off of his pubes <laughs> and thinks he's having a wank. <laughs> I like when he sits down next to her after um, after dancing about. It's pretty vacant. <laughs> She's looking at him. He just turns and f- uh, flips on the fingers. <laughs> that was very good. I, I like the interaction with those. So I, I think the whole family kind of dynamic was was really good. And I thought that was very well done. And honestly, I'd have been quite happy to see a film of just young Alan yeah. just doing thing. But um, even the scenes with his, his girlfriend, Yvonne, when he says he's moving to London and she uh, he says, I'll write to you. And she says, a fucking pen pal. <laughs> yeah. 
it's <laughs> very, very good comedy. So I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed those scenes. But as I say, the, the later bits, I, I could have kind of done without the interview parts. But I, I realise why they've done yeah. it to, to help tell the story of the film. But also, was there a need for it? Why do you just have a voiceover? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, because... I mean, I suppose the 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 interview is the kind of voiceover, isn't it? Because because it, it kind of cuts yeah. about. I mean, oft, often I don't like movies that do that. I, I didn't find it too jarring uh, in this occasion. The the sort of jumping back and forth. What did you think of Alan's eight, like late eighties, early nineties look? With the leather trousers, stripy t-shirt. Yeah, he was very much a fan of the the stripy t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it was. Wore it a lot uh, during the film. Not for me, but I guess in the late 80s, that was kind of all the rage. And uh, he would have been very fashionable, but not for me. What about yourself? Yeah, no, not for me either. But I mean, it, it, I think it's it's quite a sort of stereotypical 80s look. It just felt a bit too on the nose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Another scene that I just... I, just couldn't see the point of I mean and again they've got a they've got like a great actor in for it is um when he's talking to or he thinks he's talking to Alistair Crowley in the toilet in the party. Was it Alistair, mm-hmm. Alistair Crowley played by the brilliant uh, Stephen Berkov, who probably got paid quite well for like a day, like half a day's work. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'd have to go back and reread the book, but I don't remember Alan McGee ever saying that Alistair Crowley was like his hero. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, was that just in there for kind of some effect or? I, I I don't know, but yeah, I, I I don't remember ever reading that either. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I know that a lot of I think like uh, Led Zeppelin lived in when I mean, they were recording an album or something in Alistair Crowley's old house or something like that. I think Jimmy Page is quite into him, so I know that there's a lot of uh, associations with Crowley and music over the years. But um, but yeah, it was bizarre. The other thing I was going to ask you about is so the band the Laughing Apple. I mm. thought they weren't bad. Well, until the drummer killed uh, over. <laughs> You know something? I quite liked them. Yeah. I did actually enjoy what they were, the song they were singing. Yeah. Uh, McGee's singing style kind of reminded me of a cross between uh, Joe Lycett right. and Roland Orbal from uh, Tears of Fears. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that was the kind of style that I, I kind of got from yeah, him. Yeah. Um, I, I quite liked it, yeah, until, the, as you say, the drummer keeled over. Mm-hmm. I thought they were great. Well, had a... A, a bit of an attack and went mental yeah uh yeah i was quite enjoying that but alas it it ended a little bit too soon but yeah they, they, they could have made a bit of a, a go of it i suppose well like yeah. you see the, you know, the some of the musical performances i mean obviously well let's speak about when the television personalities turn up it's <laughs> brilliant that's a great that's michael soccer scene in the film just it genuine yeah without a doubt just he turns up and just shouts and i almost thought like for a second i was like is this meant to be like roland riveron yeah as the yeah. <laughs> way kind of turned up and then realized it was slaughter joe and when he just you know you owe us 15 quid for a taxi and start <laughs> playing and he goes up to the the um, mixing desks does this sound run on fucking gas You owe me 15 quid cab fare. What? You talking to me? Where's the PI? Every now and then, a band comes along that changes your life. Television personalities change mine. Who the fuck are you? Part cabaret. Joe Foster. Part chaos. Musician. Mystic punks. Organised, Danny. So many faces. So many faces. 
Soccer is just brilliant. It, and as I say, part-time punks has just been in my head all week. Yeah. And when they finish it and it says, okay, we're going to play the same yeah. song again, but louder. Yeah. <laughs> if you like that one, you'll like this next one. <laughs> I, 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 think he's, I think he's a really good actor, Michael Soccer. I mean, you don't really see him yeah. in enough stuff. I think the last thing that I saw him in after This Is England was uh, Chernobyl on HBO, um, and it's not it's not it's it's not a very big part he's got really, um, but he's fantastic in uh, This Is England. He absolutely brilliant. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, uh, Chernobyl obviously um, very good, and yeah, he's a great actor, and um, yeah, he's he's so hilarious in this, but also just very good kind of mm-hmm. timing and and just a, a great character and kind of just this. I don't know. He's brilliant. Sorry, Joe. Yeah. You know, when he's producing some of the music and he's brilliant when they're doing the, um, is it the, is it My Bloody Valentine or is it, yeah, it's My Bloody Valentine album when they're in the studio and they're taking it forever. Yeah. And he's not able to get in. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It, it takes him two years and, uh, to yeah. record the album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that is a good insight in terms of the some of the elements of, of Scottish music because they were, I guess, quite troubled bands that Creation signed. I mean, Jesus and Mary Chain, I, I, I'm, I do like their music yeah. and I do appreciate them, but I'm kind of too young to remember all the riots at Jesus and Mary Chain concerts. Yeah, I mean, do you remember nah. that being in the news? Or? I, I, no? think, I didn't get into Jesus and Mary Chain until a lot later. Like, I'll... I'll I think it was probably because I quite they don't really get much of a mention in the film although one one Mm. of their songs is played towards the end but I always quite liked Ride and Mm. Jesus Mary Chain and I think it it gets described as sort of shoegazing music I think Alan McGee even describes it as shoegazing music in his book yeah I think Jesus Mary Chain had had a a, a, a bit more in common with Ride than uh, in terms of how they sounded than um, perhaps some of the other acts in the label but I thought that Creation had James as well or were James with Factory maybe why did I think that um yeah I don't think James were I don't know maybe I don't know let's see um maybe James were with with Factory, maybe that's, let's see. Oh, they, they, yeah, there was 18 Wheeler and the BMX Bandits as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they, they just listen to this, right? This is, I'm not going to read the whole list because there's a lot on here. Thank God, because I've seen that yeah. list on Wikipedia. But the amount, of, <laughs> the amount of bands, right? So 18 Wheeler, Biff Bang Pow, BMX Bandits, The Boo Radleys, Bernard Butler, A Certain Ratio, they were on Factory before they went to Creation. Bill Drummond from um, the KLF. Uh, who else we got? Glenn Matlock from the Sexy Pistols. Hurricane Number One, uh, Jesus and Mary Chain were mentioned, Love Corporation, My Bloody Valentine, Oasis, Primal Scream, uh, Ride, Kevin Rowland from Dexies, <laughs> um, Super Funny Animals, Swerve Driver, oh my god, I've had about them for years, uh, Teenage Fan Club, The Weather Prophets, I mean, and that's just like less, maybe like just over a handful. Because I, I think they just, when you think of Creation Records, I think you automatically just think of Oasis before anything else, yeah. which is totally understandable. Yeah. But they, they, they say some, they said something towards the end of the film, which was, a, which really moved me a little bit. Because I, because they, you and I remember when the top 10, you know, it was all, it was mostly guitar music or a little bit of electronic yeah. music in the, in the kind of mid to late 90s. And he says how how creation wrestled control the charts away from people like uh, Stock Aiken and Waterman and blah 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 uh, 
mm. um, Simon Fuller, etc. And they've, uh, you know, and, and they've kind of wrestled it back. They didn't like it, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, they get sort of... Would you, would you, do, 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 do you think that's a valid point, that things like uh, Pop Idol and uh, Pop Stars and stuff like that were a bit of a reaction to the resurgence of what my father would call proper music? Yeah, I think so. I, I think music always goes in cycles, though. That's the the whole thing however i think that's dead now. Mm. and i'd actually written my notes that you'll never have this again an independent record label making it big mm-hmm. and and making a a kind of a, a statement it's exactly as he says the charts were full of well it wasn't so much stock aching and waterman i i think that had kind of died a death or had it no it probably no, was like it, it, uh, jason and kylie like about 92 yeah. maybe so jason and kylie were late 80s I, yeah right jason and kylie were late 90s uh rick astley was late 80s right yeah Bro, so stuff like that. that had kind of surely died a death by the time that not so much creation I mean, as i say jesus and mary chain of course and like promise cream but i'm thinking about the time like oasis and mm-hmm. stuff came out it, it all long gone i mean grunge was kind of the the big thing that was seeping in just yeah. before oasis kind of came out but i, I don't i don't um, remember any grunge songs i don't remember any like nirvana songs or anything being in like the top 10 like singles you know what i mean yeah they were out smells like smells like teen spirit was yeah yeah in the uk yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. definitely because they were on top of the pops of course that's right yeah, that's right yeah. memorable performance um, but i think the the whole thing of, of yeah the, the guitar bands and, and indie and brit pop becoming a thing and then of course then it kind of moved out again into like pop music again for a while like then you had like a steps s club seven mm-hmm. kind of you know pop music resurgence and then again in the early 2000s guitar music kind of came back yeah. with the the wave of bands that have been influenced by Britpop when you had like the likes of Franz Ferdinand yeah. or the Coral or, or um, the Libertines yeah, stuff like that yeah, uh, yeah the Kooks yeah. and Kaiser Chiefs mm-hmm. and stuff like that that's all kind of died down again and and I, you could even say actually before that in the early 2000s there was quite a big um kind of hip hop yeah um boom with Eminem with Eminem Dr Dre uh, D12 type thing you're never going to have anything like that I couldn't even fucking tell you it was in the charts no and it's not because i'm 40 odd it's because i just couldn't tell you because there's not really a trend i don't think in music it's all tiktok videos and stuff like that and hey fair play listen to whatever you like i i bike this this will never happen again no in terms of this kind of thing of of uh finding a, a band like that and signing them and and making them the biggest band in the world i agree i agree you know, i think you're right um because you because know, I, I i remember quite like i remember kind of finding blur around i think modern life is rubbish i've been out for a while and i i knew that's no other way but i remember that being played on the radio a lot when i was like 11 or 12 that song because yeah. it would be that but the, the soup dragons as well bands like that yeah like the thing but the thing is like i when i was at school and it might have been the same for you. There was sort of. And it's probably, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's the same now because my kids don't go to school in a normal country. Um, there would be like sort of groups of people that sort of stuck together based on what they were into. And certainly when I was at school, it was quite a defined sort of kind of. I suppose kind of grungy guitar music. A group of people and then there was the kind of kids that were into dance music and and the charts or whatever and they what what oasis seemed to do in my well because I, I 
I when I first found Oasis when definitely maybe was out, I fucking loved the album. Well, you know, I've spoken about it loads of times, right? I loved the album. Yeah. I can remember buying um, Vox, the old enemy monthly magazine, and there was like a big interview with Liam and Nolan there and being really engaged in it and everything. And then run about the time that What's the Story Morning Glory came out, all the kids that had previously sort of poured a bit of scorn on guitar music seemed to embrace not just Oasis, but all those bands that were, and some of them have endured, some of them not so much, but bands like Cast, The Blue Tones, suddenly they, that, that was the thing to be into. And as, as somebody who's always been a wee, bit, a wee bit reactionary in terms of not, well, maybe not so much now that I've kind of grown up to some extent, but certainly then, it felt cooler in my mind to be into stuff that not many other people were into. So it, it sort of led me to kind of go off Oasis for years. And it's only really been the last sort of 10 years or so that I've kind of been able, or maybe a bit longer, that I've been able to appreciate them as musicians and artists. Um, whereas before, you know, like I kind of would totally went off them. But I know you're a big Oasis fan, right? Yeah, I mean, completely the same as you. My school was divided between the Ravers and the Smellies, <laughs> and you were, if you were a Raver, you were into dance music. If you were a Smelly, you were into yeah. like grunge or heavy metal. Or yeah, I, I was obviously I was a Smelly. Um, I listened to Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Faith No More, Alice in Chains. That was kind of my. It was a. I was in a school play, and girl, I was in third year school and this girl in sixth year and i used to hang out a lot i, I mean i really fancied her um I, I think she saw me as like a little brother to be honest yeah. but i really fancy her and she gave me a copy of definitely maybe on cassette and i, w- I went home and listened to it and I, 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 like i've said before like i i really wanted to like it because claire liked it mm-hmm. but I genuinely really fucking liked it. And yeah, I, I would say I'm an Oasis fan. I, I do. I love Definitely Maybe. I like What's the Story. I, I think Be Here Now is a fucking great album. I agree exactly as you've said. It kind of put me off when more people were getting interested. But I would have like people that used to be so into their hardcore trance mm-hmm. and dance music sitting in the common room listening to OK Computer. And I'm like, okay, musical tastes can evolve, yeah, yeah. but you're taking the piss here, surely. <laughs> and I'm the same. I went down an avenue of, okay, I, I did didn't proclaim to be an Oasis fan. I went down a road of you know, Supergrass mm-hmm. and um, genuinely one of my favourite bands are Sleeper mm-hmm. because, okay, I adored Louise Winner, but I fucking love their music. Yeah. Their albums are great. And and very much the same as like Marion and I, I, I kind of found my more obscure bands like Gigolo. <laughs> yep, Menswear, don't fuck off Menswear. <laughs> like, like, I still to this day listen to um, the the album from um, Gigolo Ants. Yeah. It's, it's a fucking amazing album. And they, they never got any credit because there were so many bands that just got chewed up and spat yeah. out at that time because they came on the Britpop track. Um, anyway, we've went off on a fucking massive tangent <laughs> yeah. there speaking about Oasis. So... Let's speak about Oasis in the film. So it's kind of odd when he discovers them because that's not how it happened, is it? He was meant to be there. He was watching the support band yeah. that someone was in. He his girlfriend always planned was, to go there. He, his girlfriend was he, in the support yeah, band, yeah. Yeah, he didn't miss the train mm-hmm. like it's depicted in the film. No. Why Why even fucking bother making that up? It seems odd. But he was always meant to be there and Oasis were always meant to be there. And okay, to speak about the casting of Oasis film, I think they got Liam spot on. Mm-hmm. But 
who's who's the fat bloke with him? Is that Paul Gallagher? The <laughs> I, I know the actual Paul Gallagher is in this film. He plays one of the barmen in an earlier scene. Yeah. But that's that's not Noel Gallagher, is it? I I think, and it's not like he sings. No, he says a couple of lines. Why the fuck did they cast that guy? Surely they could have got they could have put a fucking Parker from Thunderbirds puppet <laughs> in there, and it would have looked more like Noel Gallagher <laughs> than the, the James the fat guy. James no offense, mate. That. The actor's name is why? Why genuinely the guy that plays no, uh, guy that plays Liam is spot on. Yeah, he he really looks like him. And this is where the film really pisses me off. <laughs> this point, it's the merging of stock footage and footage of the actors. So literally in one bit, you'll have the real Liam and yeah. at a concert, and then it cuts to the actors doing something, and it just confuses the absolute fuck out of you. If you don't know who Oasis are, and I'm sure, hey, there will be some people, I'm sure, that are watching this that, that don't know. Why? Why are you doing this? Just just reshoot it with the actors, or don't use that at all. It, it really annoyed me. There's a use for stock footage and, and for old footage, and, and it works. For example, when he's doing the, the dance to uh, the Sex Pistols, yeah, the Sexy Pistols, yeah, Pistol. and, and it shows... And it shows the Bill Grundy interview. That's a good use, yeah? When it's showing the passage of time at Christmas and one year it's Renee and Renata, Save Your Love. What a tune. And the next year it's Shaken Stevens. That works. (laughs) Showing a combination of archive footage of Oasis in concert or Liam and Noel in an interview and then showing the actors in literally the next frame pretending to be them, especially when one of them is twice the size of him... (laughs) It doesn't work. That really fucking pissed me off. Like, just don't do it. Choose one or the other. Choose life. Just <laughs> choose one or the other. Don't do that. It did. That really annoyed me. I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I'll be honest. It, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't bug me that much, really. I mean, I think it, it felt like the when you have Oasis and King Tut's doing their performance of Rock and Roll Star. I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain that they are just that they're miming that that isn't the actor who plays Liam singing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I did like it when uh, Jason Fleming's character refers to Noel as Joan of Arc. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> asked Joan of Arc over there. No, that's another thing. Yeah, and I did. I no. did wonder why he was in it until I saw who the director was. I was like, all oh, right, okay. Yeah, I mean, Nick Moran, okay, give your mate a role. Why don't you give him a, a different role? Or, here's an idea. If you're going to cast him as the manager of King Tut's, why don't you make manager of King Tut's English so that Jason Fleming can speak with an English accent and not do his fucking terrible Scottish accent? No one's going to care. No one's going to know who the manager of King Tut's at that <laughs> yeah. time was. Could have been an English bloke. It's fine. Or cast him as someone else and get a Scottish bloke in to be the manager of King Tut's. Yeah. But don't make, please, please, people, don't make Jason Fleming do a Scottish accent ever again. I thought his Scottish accent was a little bit better than it had been in, um, in what do you call it, in uh, Sunshine on Leith. To be, Sunshine to on Leith. At least, at least he didn't sing this time. Yeah. That's, I, I was hoping he wasn't going to get the microphone and start singing You Should Have Been Loved. That still haunts my dreams. <laughs> um, I mean, it was good to see Oasis and, and see that. And I, I agree. I kind of wanted more of that. Mm-hmm. But then if I wanted to see more of that, then I'll watch Supersonic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I would rather do than than watch this. Um, yeah. I, did you did yeah. you notice, you know, the scene when Alan goes to the club, to the Acid House night for the first time, and he's watching people dancing. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. The, there is what appears to be Yaz and the plastic population dancing on the dance floor. So it does. Oh really? Well, it's I'm, I didn't know. I'm sure that. it's not Yaz in the plastic population, but they look. I mean, they they get on the middle, 
they're doing that sort of synchronized dance. Looks a lot like Yaz. Um, that took me over a bit. Did you spot when Alan goes to, it's, it's not early on, but it's when he's in London and he goes to a party mm-hmm. and he walks in the door and this young woman accosts him and that starts speaking about the miners. Yes. Did you spot who that was? I couldn't put a name to her, but I was. I meant to actually go back and try and find the name of the character. Who is it? That is. Um, it's the actress Saskia Reeves. Saskia Reeves, who is better known to us as Linda the Barmaid ID. from ID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. I know we're both big fans of ID. I watched it again the other oh. week, and it's still fucking. Brilliant. I need to get hold of it. It's hard to find. It, it was on Netflix in the UK for like about five minutes, and then it came off again. It's one of the few films I own on Blu-ray <laughs> because. <laughs> And love it so much. I've seen it for years. <laughs> I love. I like the scenes, and I'll go into the more serious scenes in this part of the film. But I like the scenes with Alan and Peter Mandelson when they're listening to yes. Dream. Things will only get better. It's just like it's it's it says he it says it's house music for people who hate house music. <laughs> very true and the way that mandelson just said so i thought oasis could do a cover of it um we'd love to have heard that yeah but you know i think that um the actor who plays tony blair looks like Mm. the tony blair spit an image puppet he does actually you're right yeah terrifying very true yeah there's one part that another part that pissed me off is the the timeline they mess up slightly so it's when alan goes to see the bank manager right and the the bank manager says that comedy's the new rock and roll. Badil and this is Newman and Badil um, sold out Wembley. So that is very true. Mm-hmm. Comedy was the new rock and roll for a, a while, but Newman and Badil sold out Wembley in December 1993. Yeah, and Alan McGee saw Oasis at King Tut's in May 1993. So. The bank manager was eight months off. Fucked it. Fucked yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, I have, I, I've got that, uh, I've got the record, um, well not the record, I've got the album of that uh, Newman and Badil, um performance at Wembley. Some of it hasn't aged all that well. Some of it is still mm. very, very, very funny though. To be, but, and, but anyway, it, that's a digression. A scene that I thought was very good and is the scene at um, Checkers with uh, mm. Savile. I thought that was, I thought that was quite I thought that was quite bold to do that. Yeah. And I was and they I was thinking, fucking hell, it sounds just like Jimmy Savile. To the point where for a second mm. I thought, well, I wonder if they've just got like recordings. So that's the sort of shit that he would say. You know, like he's like everything yeah. that Savile says in the film is our sort of classic Savile sort of lines but it's Alistair McGowan the yeah. the Scottish uh, actor and comedian and I, li- I like the fact that they they don't they don't kind of shoot it straight with Savile do you know what I mean like you yeah. see his arm and his shoulder and his back and his hair and everything but they don't they, they, he's not he's not like a, an out and out character in the film he's very much Jimmy Savile because yeah. that was one I remember reading when I read Alan McGee's book and he talks about that scene uh, well nobody talks about what actually happened and he said that uh you know kind of growing up in glasgow he said you knew people that were involved with crime and stuff and they kind of handled themselves a certain way there was a an arrogance and everything he said as soon as i met savile he said he was exactly like those guys you know those guys that think they're above the law and they can do what they like and you know and obviously with him it was it was blown up to the nth degree because of his political connections and everything but i thought mm. that was uh that, yeah, i think like i said earlier on in the podcast i think the whole new labor part of it is probably 
probably the most the best part of the film for me speaking personally yeah. just in terms of how it's dramatized and you know the alan mcgee sort of seeing through it quite early on yeah you know what i mean before anybody else did evidently that's what i quite liked about it because it's kind of looking back reflecting on new labor wasn't actually all it was cracked up yeah and showing it for the i guess the kind of not political shit show but like at the time new labor i mean it was huge yeah yeah it's massive when labor got in it was massive but they were kind of riding on the whole Britpop, euro 96 spice girls like Mm -hmm. britain's cool let's make britain cool we've got tony blair here who's this john major yes it was very much kind of the way that they were they were promoting it and yeah it was basically just a brilliant marketing campaign that got labor like the emperor's new clothes wasn't it End of the day, um, but like, and in the film, there's that you see. I think uh, they're supposed to be in one of the Labour Party headquarters, and this, they've done that. They've they've got a poster of Tony Blair like behind Ed Byrne as uh, Alistair Campbell, mm. and I know it's supposed to be the actor. Like they haven't used. And the actual poster, but I don't know if this is by design or if it's just an accident, a happy accident. But <laughs> the picture of the actor playing Tony Blair in the poster, he looks manic and unhinged. You know that big toothy smile and sort of intense eyes and everything. I'm sure it was by design. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah, that was the quote I was looking for when we were talking. We were talking about Al McGee talking about sort of taking the charts back from kind of pre-made pop. Hmm. He said. Uh, we wrestled the charts from the dullest cunts on earth. Is that is this a reference to Stock Eight and more? It must be, I guess so. Yeah. As I say, this film has a lot of kind of fleeting cameo appearances as mm-hmm. such, and I guess the director couldn't help himself yeah. by slipping himself in there as Malcolm McLaren, <laughs> who, of course, I left off the list. Actually, yeah. of famous managers. Yeah. How do we feel about? Nick Moran's portrayal. And that's another thing. Nick Moran is another actor who will always be known, as you said in your intro, as Nick Moran from Lockstock. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll always be known for that role, no matter what he does. Uh, how did you feel about his portrayal of Malcolm McLaren? Well, I mean, he's just doing a sort of impression of Malcolm McLaren as opposed to like <laughs> acting, acting the role. I mean, I just watched Pistol about the sexy pistols uh-huh. uh, and the actor... Uh, who plays Malcolm McLaren in that film is uh, is good. Uh, young English actor. I'm just coming, I know it's Andrew something. Um, I'm going to find it now. It's going to bug the shit out of me. Uh, sorry, not Andrew. Thomas Brody Sangster, um, who's the kid from Love Actually. Yeah, he's been in tons of things though since Love Actually. He's in um, he's in the maze. <laughs> He'll always be the kid from Love Actually. <laughs> sorry, Thomas. He's 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 in he's he's in the Maze Runner. He's in uh, uh, the Queen's Gambit. Um, he was in he, he had a few episodes of Game of Thrones and stuff like that. Um, he's yeah, he's much better. I mean, but fortunately, he has a good sense to keep that scene short. Nick Moran, you know, we don't yeah. Um, don't have to he doesn't subject us to to, to, too much of it okay anything else on creation stories should we put it through the the our categories or awards yeah i think we should let's do the awards because i don't think i've got anything else really to to say on i think i've vented enough on uh (laughs) on creation stories so (laughs) let's go what have we got okay so the first award is the bobby the barman award for best pub in the in the film king tuts well yeah i mean it's king tuts i i also had the pub where where we meet the television personalities um the part-time mm. pubs has performed quite yeah. like that boozer as well good show actually yeah um it's in london though it's isn't london it? yeah i guess it's got to be king tuts i've been in king tuts for years and years it's such a long time since i've been in king tuts maybe 20 years or more wow i think the last person i saw in king tuts was lily allen bizarrely and she was touring her first album mm. me and paula Wicks here um 
Okay. Oh. Um, the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. There's none, right? None. Didn't see any at all. No. no. Um, there's maybe like a little flash when they're doing the punk kind of montage of maybe a pair of boobs. Nude, but yeah. there's no actual nudity. So yeah, there's, there's a famous T-shirt that Steve Jones wears in the Grundy interview with the of course the breasts on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. The James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Who did you pick? Uh, I went with Siobhan Redmond. So did I. Just think. Yeah, yeah, she's she's in so much, um, so much Scottish stuff that yeah, it it seemed to be the easy choice. And to say she's great in this as well, mm-hmm. so she's my pick. Okay. The Jake McQuillan Your Tizut Award. I struggled to f- not a very violent film. It's no, I, I basically went when um, his dad, Alan's dad, smacks yeah. him after he finds out about the paper money. That's the only thing mm-hmm. really. There's not much other violence. I'm not sure that he hit him hard enough to give him stitches, did he? It's sort of a backhander. I, I wonder if he fell on something oh, or, yeah. but yeah, the the backhander definitely wasn't enough to give him stitches. No maybe, chance. Although maybe you never know. He might have caught him with his Masonic ring or something like that. <laughs> Possibly. And to be fair, he's a big unit, yeah, yeah. Richard Jobson. So maybe, maybe he did. You never know. The Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. What did you go for in this? My favourite line in the film, and I, I don't agree with this. Well, I, there was there was two, but this one just fucking. I almost fell off my chair laughing. Um, but when Jesus and Mary Chain are being interviewed by the German guy, and they come, they, they compares them to Joy Division, and he says, "Joy Division are fucking shite." <laughs> That made me. That really made me laugh. And then I don't think Joy Division are shite. They're one of my favourite bands, by the way. But it just made me laugh. And also, bigger than you two, you cunt. Something about that just made me laugh as well. <laughs> what about you? I really laughed uh, as I mentioned earlier at his dad saying, "You should be on the street playing football, you be cunt." Um, I, I find that funny. Uh, but I think it was Siobhan Redmond when she's having an argument with Alan's dad through the door, and she says something like, oh, "Fuck." Yeah. And then she goes, oh, you've got me fucking swearing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a comical moment to break up kind of a, a tense scene. Yeah. So yeah, I, I went with that. That's a good stuff. But I do like bigger than you two, you <laughs> yeah. cunt. I like that. Okay, next one. Archetypal Scottish moment. I went with belligerent doorman. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the king, you know, yeah. king tuts and stuff. Yeah. What did you go with? I can see yeah. that. Yeah with that um i went with when alan is in la after he's just left the interview and he's in a bar just before he meets ralph mm-hmm. and he meets the american singer and she's trying to give him the cd yeah. she knows who he is um and he's just trying to kid on and when he opens his mouth she says to him oh are you english <laughs> i said no i'm scottish yeah that was the archetypal scottish yeah. <laughs> that's a bit <laughs> arguably better than mine <laughs> okay then in the Sean Connery award who do you think wins the film I'd love in fact I was going to say I'd love to give it to Bremer I wouldn't nah, I haven't um, given it to Bremer I'd love to give it to Leo Flanagan I gave it I gave it to young I gave Alan. it to Leo Flanagan <laughs> yeah I, I think we'll give it to him yeah. it's between him and Soccer. yeah yeah. Flanagan's in it more and mm. I think he's got more of a, a range if that makes sense Soccer's he's always got the shades on yeah, yeah. kind of surly just needs to say a fucker or a something yeah, yeah. And it, it's funny whereas young alan is wearing the eye makeup and the tennis racket and yeah, yeah. doing funny things for the dance and giving his grandmother <laughs> yeah. the, the v's and yeah um getting his uh his pubes painted red yeah leo flan i like let's i yeah. like the scenes of him working on the trains and stuff you know when he's doing his he's, <laughs> he's uh, checking tickets and all that kind of thing you know yeah 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 it literally does not care but <laughs> yeah 
It's a job. Yeah, exactly. We've all been there. Yeah. Well, creation stories. Nice. If you haven't, if you haven't seen the film and you haven't read the book, I would, I wouldn't tell you not to see the film, but I would urge you to read the book first, and then it might, it might give the film a bit more context if you're not a hundred percent familiar with the with the story of Alan McGee and creation records. So yeah, yeah, it's worth it's worth a watch, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's about it. So it's your choice for the next episode. Before we get to that, I think we should mm-hmm. mention some of the people who have been in touch with us on social media over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so Andy from Finland wrote us a very nice big long email um, uh, to tell us about his journey from. Ireland, uh, from Ireland to Finland, uh, which involves a lot of Scotland, but uh, we appreciate you writing in, Andy. Uh, glad that you're enjoying the podcast. We've got your list of recommendations. I dare say we might take we might take a couple of them over the next few months. And you had some nice correspondence last night, didn't you? Yeah, I certainly did. So we were uh, featured on Scots Wahey on cam glenn radio uh which is a wonderful radio show uh, they've got definitely got a new fan in me which uh covers the best in scottish music literature and it's got tv and podcast recommendations so ali the host of that uh gave us a lovely mention and shout out we were his podcast of the week on the show uh last night so i want to say a big uh, thank you to ali and yeah uh, recommend scott's way mm. uh, it's available online and wherever you get your podcasts as well so yeah thank you very much ali it was much appreciated yep uh and uh an old pal of mine uh, a guy called chris davis has been uh sort of macheting his way through the comedy game for the last 10 years or so has got a, a show at the edinburgh festival I'm trying to think when this goes out. It might you might just catch it. It's on at the vault um, till the 25th of August. Um, it's called Down and Out in Glasgow and Berlin. This episode goes out on the 25th of August. <laughs> right. Well, stop listening and run down and catch it. Um, <laughs> I, I gave my little boost on our social media page today. Anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, I'm sure, we'll get my ticket or two. So uh, it's your choice for our next episode of the Swally. What are we watching this week? Well, Greg, I think we've been too happy on the Swally of late, haven't we? <laughs> Like, we did, since episode 50, we've done Local Hero, yep. Rab C. Nesbitt, Guilt, Series 2, Restless Natives, and Creation Stories, which is pretty funny. Mm. It's It's been too happy. I think we need to come crashing back down to okay. Earth with some, some right doer, depressing Scottish <laughs> stuff. Brilliant. So, um, I actually had a film picked, and I do this a lot. I, I had a film picked for the last two weeks, and I, I, I knew what I was going to do next on the Swally. And I've literally changed my mind a couple of days ago because I was looking at Richard Jobson's right. career, obviously lead singer of the Skids, and now he is an accomplished film director. And I would like to look at his debut film, which he wrote and directed himself. So I'd like to look at 2003's 16 Years of Alcohol. Brilliant. I had a feeling that you might choose that when I was reading up about Richard Did Jobson. You? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's got a great cast. And I'm hoping, I, I have seen it before. Um, have you seen I it? I don't when? think I've seen it. I'm pretty sure I haven't. Okay. Yeah. It is um, it is available on YouTube. It's also available on the, the USB. Stick yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's available on YouTube, the whole film. I have seen it once when it first came out. But yeah, it's Kevin McKidd, uh, the lovely Laura Fraser, and of course, Ewan Bremner playing a different role from Spud. So... <laughs> Maybe we'll have some good things to say in the next episode about it. Yeah, so 16 Years of Alcohol Brilliant. coming your way on the next episode of The Swally. It's going to come crashing back down to yeah. earth. 
Nice depressing episode. Yeah, so, something for you to all enjoy as you go back to school and work after your holidays. <laughs> okay, uh, well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can. You can follow us on at CultureSwellyPod. Or if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can at Swelly Pod. And if you have seen anything in the news you'd like us to cover or any requests of anything uh, from Scotland that you'd like us to talk about in the Swally, you can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And please don't forget to rate, review, give us a little uh, rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the podcast to grow a little bit. And Greg, the website? Yep, we've got a, a website. Uh, it's been up and running for a couple of months now. It's uh, You can find us at uh, cultureswally.com. There's a link to all of our episodes, all 50, this episode 54, 55? 55. 55, you know, with some features about, we've got something about the Crankies on there, we've got something about Scottish television, and uh, of course our Swally Tally, uh, which uh, Nikki curates. Uh, so get down and check us out. You can also contact us uh, through our socials uh, from links on the website too. Wonderful. Okay. How's the temperature? You're looking a bit red in the face there. It's okay, actually. Yeah. It's 29 degrees, right. so it's, yeah, it's, it's ramping up. Oh, Okay, well, I am going to go and get out of this hot room and uh, go and get myself in front of the cooling fan <laughs> to escape the heat. So, until next time, Greg. Until next time. What's all this grandma bar tells us? Painting your tubes. Oh, like. no, that, that was just what's fucking something. to you? This is all that punk rock shite they've been talking about. Aye, hey, this is a decent house. Oh, aye. Aye. If I say much as here, you mention those sexy pistols. You'll wish you were never born. Now get that shit off. You look ridiculous. Ridiculous.